This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, uh, we've got a lot of things apart from the General Motors plant closure to talk about. We'll get to uh, some of those with our panel and topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville after 520. Uh, Andrew Shear is going to join us after 6 o'clock as well. He, of course, the leader of the official opposition, and uh, he'll have more to say on the plant closure and what government intervention may or may not be able to do. Doug Ford being criticized because he basically has already conceded that the ship has sailed and the head of the union, Jerry Diaz, Andrea Horvath, uh, various and sundry have gone after him saying, uh, that's outrageous. Uh, We're not giving up without a fight. Just proffering a different uh, or an alternative suggestion. Do you think we can maybe uh, reposition ourselves for a domestic automotive industry? Does that make any sense? Uh, we'll get back into that discussion shortly. On another matter, it's made the radar today. It has to do with a killing that took place back in 2009. I remember it full well because it wasn't too far uh, from my own hood there in East York. And uh, some of the principals uh, were known to good friends of mine, one of whom uh, coached baseball with the young man who committed first-degree murder at the behest of his then 14-year-old girlfriend who saw in the woman who was the victim, the young girl who was a victim, a rival. And uh, she was suggesting she would withhold sex and manipulated this guy. And uh, he went and murdered the girl, stabbed her uh, six times, I believe, on New Year's Day. She bled out in a a snowbank. And so uh, now Melissa Todorovic, having been sentenced to the Grand Valley Institution in Kitchener, Ontario, earlier today, uh, went up before the parole board, and they've determined that she should get day parole for the next six months. Let's find out uh, how this all works in the grand sweep of things. Joining me on the line right now, our expert in this regard, Michael Lacey, is the president of the Criminal Lawyers Association of Ontario and a partner with the criminal law group, Browdy Thorning Zabaris. Michael, good to have you back on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, John. So, uh, Ms. Todorovic, uh, she was sentenced as an adult to first-degree murder, and uh, she's now 26. The adult sentence thing has me perplexed because while she was a minor at the time, uh, to call it an adult sentence, I don't understand that because the maximum she could have gotten was, what, 10 years or 7? Well, in fact, she got life imprisonment. <clears throat> so her, her sentence was life imprisonment, but unlike an adult in a similar circumstance, she was eligible to apply for parole after seven years. So a comparable adult wouldn't have been eligible for a first-degree murder conviction to apply for parole for 25 years uh, or longer, depending upon, well, in this case, it would have been 25 years. And then um, there, there's a, you know, a faint hope clause that you could perhaps apply after 15 years. But it's because she was a youth that she was eligible to apply for parole. And as you know, she did, in fact, apply for parole in this case. Yeah, again, though, a life sentence, uh, you know, because we come to understand it to mean maximum now 25 years in this country, uh, unless you're a dangerous offender held at Her Majesty's pleasure. So it's not really life. It seems like a misnomer is my point. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's a fair characterization. I know that we people often talk about it that way, that, you know, first degree murder only gets you 25 years in jail. But the reality is that parole is not a foregone conclusion for people who are convicted of very serious crimes. Uh, in this case, of course, as you noted, she was 15 years of age at the time. And I mean, in horrific circumstances. I also live uh, not far from East York, and this rocked the community. It obviously was horrible for the family that was involved, and, and, the, and the, the victim's uh, parents are still 
obviously not happy that any of this happened today. But at the same time, the parole authorities obviously were dealing with someone who is almost double the age she was at the time that she committed these offenses. As I understand it, she's completed all of the available programming that was available at the federal institution where she was, and she was supported by the correctional authorities in her bid to obtain day parole. So this is a, a halfway house for a period of six months. Yeah, why it's only to, six months? Well, it's to see how she does in the community, right? So there's no question this is a transition stage, that the idea is you try to integrate someone back into the community. You see how well she responds to having some more freedom than she has now, how well she deals with the conditions associated with that day parole. And no doubt, you know, at the end of this six months, she'll either seek to have a further period of day parole or she'll seek to um, get full parole, which is a possibility in a case of this nature. My understanding is uh, the board found she still has some emotional and self-esteem issues. Yeah, they did. That's my understanding as well. And and I think what what struck them, though, as being important was that the correctional authorities said those issues are not going to be able to be dealt with within the federal penitentiary system because we don't have any more programming to offer her within our facilities. And we think the time is right for her to start integrating back in into the community, uh, being on strict conditions, monitoring her ability to have relationships with other people. I mean, these, these are never difficult or sorry, easy things for the public to accept when you look at a, a horrific crime like this and you look at the circumstances of the crime. But one of the underlying principles, especially with youth who are convicted of crimes, is you, you hope that there is some hope of rehabilitation and in the right cases, reintegration back into the community. Although always, when you have a life sentence, you're going to be subject to conditions of release in the community. Which is an interesting one because she's got to report any relationship she has with men while she's in that halfway house, right? That's my understanding. And, and the, the theory is that to the extent that she needs to um, learn how to uh, <laughs> have a relationship with, with men now that she's a, an adult and they want to have close supervision over that, given obviously the manipulative circumstances that gave rise to her offending conduct, the way she manipulated uh, the other uh, offender to commit the crime on her behalf. Well, and the parole officer, I guess, also found that she needs uh, work on gaining empathy, and uh, she doesn't show a lot of emotion. Uh, it sounds to me like she's still got uh, a ways to go to, you know, be capable of uh, being emotionally available. And it may, it may very well be. Obviously, I don't know the, the personal circumstances of this woman, but it may well be that um, this six-month period of time in the community that she does not demonstrate that she's able to grow in the way in which people might think she should be growing if she's ever going to be integrated back into the community. And it may be that she does not end up getting parole at the end of the day. Um, you know, again, I think I come back when you, when you look at the circumstances and I, I don't want to be the token apologist for the criminal justice system, obviously, but when I look at the circumstances here, as horrific as they are, you're dealing with a, a young woman who's, you know, on the verge of turning 30, she was 26 now, she was 15 at the time of the offense. And either we're going to just lock up people who commit really horrible crimes and throw away the key, 
or we look at whether or not we have a somewhat of a responsibility as a community to try and rehabilitate people in these circumstances and give them the opportunity to reintegrate in some capacity. Yeah, but the obvious rejoinder to that is Stephanie Rangel, the victim, would have been in the very flourish or flower of young adulthood at 25, and uh, she doesn't get that opportunity. Nonetheless, I won't debate that because I know... No, it- you're absolutely right, though. Let me say, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and don't, I wouldn't want you or your callers to think somehow that um, what happened to the victim in this case or to the family should be forgotten in the assessment. Um, that's obviously an important consideration. It's obviously something that no doubt the parole board took into account. Well, and this is the ultimate question that we come away every time we have these discussions, either going into them or coming away from them. Is the punishment seen to be fitting the crime? And uh, I get back to that. I mean, I guess, you know, uh, you understand from the defense lawyer's perspective that parole uh, has to be availed uh, in usual cases, I guess, because uh, unless you just want to warehouse people indefinitely until they draw their last breath. But how do you feel on balance, you know, especially for young offenders? That's why I started by asking, you know, adult uh, sentencing, life sentence. But again, those seem mischaracterizations. You disabuse me of that. Well, every everything that we everything that we know about uh, the way young people interact and the way young people think and the development of their brain is that you actually have to treat them differently than you do adults because neurologically they're different. And you know, you 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 may remember John or your your audience may be aware that in the United States, for example, when they were dealing with cases, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada, Supreme Court of the United States, sorry, United States Supreme Court that dealt with the question of um, sending away young people who'd been convicted of murder um, with no possibility of parole for the rest of their lives. And there was a number of uh, uh, experts that were retained who gave evidence about the neurological development of children. And although there may be cases where people have to be locked up forever, uh, and that means never getting parole, the reality is it's as a matter of... uh, science to look at what a young person does who's not fully developed and say that's on exactly the same par as as someone who's a a fully mature adult is just apparently based on the science that's just not an accurate assessment and our youth justice system takes takes that into account in determining appropriate sentence ranges yeah they may we should have taken it into account when we legalized pot you know for 19 year olds because that youthful brain is still not developed but that never really made the radar yeah. all right <laughs> i'll leave that to other people well that's a different issue for another time but michael i appreciate your weighing in on this one and uh, sort of giving us perspective or context as always uh, your time is very valued and i appreciate your making some for us thank you john always yeah. a pleasure michael lacy president of the criminal lawyers association here in ontario well, that's why I always wonder, you know, these young offenders and uh, if they're getting a pass, you know, with this adult sentencing and a life sentence. He said, no, you know, they could still be denied parole, although I can't really recall any incidents where they have been, you know, where you've had somebody commit some grisly deed at 14 and they're well into their dotage before they're let out of the joint. Never seen that unless they're, you know, ruled to be dangerous offenders and uh, they can't be rehabilitated and held indefinitely at Her Majesty's pleasure. We'll leave it for now because that's a story. She's got six months of day parole and I guess has to prove her worth in that regard. That's the other thing, you know, you sometimes wonder if these people who are working there to uh, help her integrate or reintegrate back into the community, you know, the John Howard societies and the Elizabeth Fry societies and all of these folk uh, are going to write glowing letters of recommendation 
That always scares me. Maybe I'm too judgmental. Let's leave it for now. We'll come back. Uh, there are many other things I wanted to address, including what some are deeming to be corporate welfare here in the province of Ontario with this chicken farm. Uh, <laughs> did I, I? I guess I mischaracterized that as well. It's the Maple Leaf Foods process, uh, processing facility being sent down to London, Ontario. It's an abattoir. Okay. Well, it's not a chicken ranch. That's just the one thing I wanted to be clear about. Uh, those are only holed up in Nevada somewhere. But we'll come back and talk about that next here in the Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.